0: Hi there, thanks for listening to the Curiosity for Better Learning podcast, where we talk with educators, researchers, and thought leaders about top of mind topics in the K-12 education space. We hope you take away evidence-backed insights from cutting edge research, practical ideas you can try in the classroom today, and questions that inspire your own exploration to learn more, awakening your professional curiosity. Our guests today are Aaron D'Amelio, and Dr. Esmeralda Carini, who have helped develop and write the Hawaii State Literacy Plan, a comprehensive multilateral blueprint designed to empower learners of all ages and abilities within the state to master the skills they need to achieve lifelong literacy. And with that, I will give you guys the floor to introduce yourselves.
1: All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Erin D'Amelio, and I am an avid reader, self-proclaimed word nerd. I am also a researcher at McCrell and uh, supporting educators and education systems, so I have the pleasure of working with Dallas and Carrie. Today, though, I am wearing my hat as a contributing writer of the Hawaii State Literacy Plan and co-host of the Imua Literacy Podcast with my good friend and colleague Esmeralda.
2: I am Dr. Esmeralda Carini, and I am the district's uh, literacy specialist for Kailua Kalaheo Complex on the island of Oahu. I am a co-host for Imua Literacy and a co-writer on the Hawaii State Literacy Plan. And I also sometimes lecture at the University of Hawaii um, around literacy methods for elementary and secondary teachers.
3: I feel like you both wear many, many, many hats, We could
2: keep sober. going. <laughs> <laughs> feel free like to, to leave that busy. off if you want. <laughs>
0: um, so yeah, as I was saying, before we get into today's topic, we had a couple of icebreakers to ask you both. So Aaron, I'll start with you. Uh, Who is your favorite teacher whose impact still inspires you today?
1: That's a really good question, Dallas. I... I've struggled with that question because I've had a lot of memorable teachers, but I don't know if I have a favorite. But I will say that my third grade teacher, Mrs. Steiner, definitely made an impression on me with some of her lessons. Um, so I remember that she had been teaching us about the imperative Um and we had to write down directions on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that she would then follow in front of the class and let's let's just say that there were quite a few slices of bread that ended up tacked onto the wall and peanut butter where it shouldn't have been so i think i think uh, i mean clearly i still remember that lesson and i think those kind like that still inspires me today to have something that, like, think about how to present information in a way that's, like, really impactful and and just tries to get the point across, like, really clearly and
2: directly.
0: Uh, so, yeah, Esmeralda, do you have a favorite teacher who's still, whose impact still impacts you today?
2: It's interesting, that question. I mean, um, The first teacher that comes to mind is actually a professor, um, Dr. Charlotte fromba (laughs) kurtzer Hey, Charlotte.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Charlotte.
2: She was my (laughs) PhD advisor. She's still a professor at the University of Hawaii. And I think I do, I was definitely inspired by just sort of the compassion. Well, she brings such a level of expertise um, to her teaching, but then also the compassion That she gives her students and how she teaches them. So it was very inspiring to watch because obviously I worked closely with her for six years. (laughs) And, you know, I kind of try to model um, some of my pedagogy off of what I learned from her. So She was always very inspiring. But, you know, I just recently was in a classroom. I have a lot of teachers who are in my schools who inspire me when I go into their classroom. And I was just in a classroom last week with um, a second grade teacher, Stephanie Tyra. And my God, her teaching Year after year, she is one of those truly lifelong learners. Like she is always trying to stay on cutting edge of what is the latest and greatest um, in the realm of reading, writing, speaking and listening. She always tries new things. They were doing a project based learning on recycling. Um, And she just brings this energy and passion and care for her kids that I always leave her classrooms feeling inspired like how wonderful for her students and, too. I know. And, she, and it's so funny after that visit I did last week, she emailed me and she's like, can you give me feedback on how I did and, and, you know, what I could improve on or whatever. Um, and I mean, I always think we always can be improving, but she is that I always say to teachers that um, a reflective teacher is an effective teacher. And to me, she embodies that statement. Um, And she truly, you know, is an educator. Like she really embraces the identity of an educator and a lifelong learner because, um, you know, our profession is constantly changing. And as professionals, we need to be growing and learning and and um, so that our students, so we can offer our students sort of the best educational approach yeah. for them. So, yeah, so she inspires me I, So I get. And I mean, I leave there so happy <laughs> every time. Yeah. I go to class. <laughs> and I have a lot of teachers like that, actually, in my district. So.
3: And I think there's a lot of value finding the time to be able to visit classrooms, whether it's teachers visiting teachers or other levels of yes. it, just learning from each other. And it's great that she came to you proactively for feedback. But if that was something that could be built in sometime, would be phenomenal just to hear ideas from other people who are doing the same things that you're doing, but maybe just a little bit different.
2: Well, we do that in the Hawaii Lab cohort. So that was that was a part of my vision and mission when I created um, that uh, teacher learning community as an anchor for professional learning. And Stephanie has been a lab teacher for many years because I agree with you. Teachers need job embedded learning, and they need they learn best from each other. So getting that feedback from a practitioner. Um, Can be really powerful. So my elevator speech um, is that the Hawaii lab cohorts, there are teacher learning communities that offer an ongoing job embedded differentiated approach to professional learnings um, for teachers Um, to keep them renewed and accountable to continuous learning and growth in their profession. And the idea came about at the time where Common Core was coming. So it was like 2008, 2009. And I was working with my superintendent. We were kind of getting ready for Common Core. And I was telling her, you know, with all of these new standards that really require teachers to help their students take action on their learning, um, if we want teachers to help students be able to do that, they have to also learn in a different way. And so I went down this sort of rabbit hole of research around professional learning and basically. Um, use that research to create the model and framework that we use in the Hawaii lab cohort. And so we've, gosh, it's been almost a decade now that we've been um, doing them. We've had many different types of cohorts, but a lot of our cohorts are reading cohorts, writing cohorts, but we've had assessment cohorts, science cohorts, math cohorts, UDL cohorts. Um, And I think next year we're going to have a co-teaching one. Um, But again, the idea is it's a teacher learning community. So so we're prioritizing the teacher's learning first to impact the student's learning. But if you want to get kind of researchy, they're also truly a community of practice. So they voluntarily come together to extend their learning around a topic or a content, you know, a a strategy or skill, like for example, writer's workshop. Um, We had one of those cohorts one year and it was great because we had a variety of learners. So we had people who are just starting their background knowledge, building foundational knowledge around the the, uh, writer's workshop and people who'd been doing it for years. Um, But yet we chose, I think, the um, practice of conferencing within a workshop. And so that was sort of the skill everyone was trying to extend. And we would do professional learning around it. We'd go in and observe each other, giving conferences, give feedback around whatever their, their teacher goal was for that. Um, and then we would do um, meetings. We'd have quarterly meetings and and times to read and discuss the new learning that we're doing. So um, it's been really powerful, and, and the, the, the surprise for me, I'm not surprised that um, the teacher's learning has had a, a huge impact on student learning, like within the year of the cohorts, because the cohorts run for a full year. But what really surprised me was the teacher efficacy. So a lot of these cohorts were school cohorts. And so about six or eight teachers in the school, and they really changed the climate of the school, like the, the way the school functions, because they start, um, to do, they start to do professional learning for their staff. They, um, they come together around certain practices and it just creates a more positive, fluid, cohesive environment.
0: We talk a lot about school and like inside out school improvement. I I feel like this is the perfect definition of that. Um, and it's really inspiring to hear not only that you're seeing these drastic changes, but you're seeing these drastic changes so quickly and so um, impact and so suddenly yes. um, within the year already seeing massive changes to um, how these teachers interact and how at the end, how the um Students receive their learning. it's a it's a completely different process is what it's sounding and I, like. You
2: know, it's it's interesting. This kind of learning allows teachers to get really intentional, like get really good at a particular practice that they choose um, because the choice part is actually really important mm-hmm. when a lot of these cohorts and schools were having really a big impact on student learning I had some principals that were like oh my god we are setting up a cohort next year at my school and I'm going to choose this person that person and that person and I was like no you can't do that <laughs> you have it has to be voluntary because there's a certain kind of energy that you bring when you voluntarily come together to learn with and from other other. Um,
3: and that's really important, you know? Um, I feel like that's where the success comes from too. I know that for myself, when I have an inspiring session for anything work related, I feel like I can take over the world. Like I am ready to go. I feel phenomenal. And I want to bring that to everyone else in my group. And so I'm sure a lot of the times that's what they feel like walking away. I've learned so much. I gave so much and now I can make greater impacts.
2: And it's manageable. I think a lot of professional development that happens at schools for teachers, there's just way too many initiatives going on. Um, And so you never really go deep into one particular practice and actually get to experience success around it because you're trying to do multiple things at one time. So these teachers are really intentional. Like for example, the writing workshop cohort, they were going to get really good at writing conferences because that's the heart of any workshop model. Um, And so through their writing conferences with students, they were able to impact the student writing overall. Right. And they felt good about it at the end of the year. So they not only built a shared uh, knowledge base around writing conferences, but shared language. Um, so when they went in to give each other feedback, they had similar schemas. Right. Because there's nothing like giving, right. getting feedback from somebody who doesn't bring the same level of background knowledge as the person who they're giving feedback to.
0: I love it we're We're on the first icebreaker, and we've already <laughs> dove that deep into it. This is great,
3: so since you both wear hats in literacy and you helped write the state plan, my question might sound basic, but I think it's foundational to the conversation, and that is how do you define literacy? I can start off as
1: and then maybe mm-hmm. you can can jump in um I think that literacy also wears many hats and not in the sense that people use it to say like computer literacy or math literacy. Like I don't, I'm not talking about that per se. Um, But I think that it is more about what literacy can do. And so, When we were writing the Hawaii State Literacy Plan, we used the same definition that the International Literacy Association has for literacy, and that is, quote, the ability to identify, understand, interpret, create, compute, and communicate using visual, audible, and digital materials across disciplines and in any context, unquote.
2: So, basically, That's impressive, Erin, that you know that by heart. <laughs> I have it so. written down. <laughs> I wish I could
1: be able to to rattle that off. No, uh, with without any help, but I have written it down. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs>
1: but basically, you can already within that definition see how literacy can uh, be applied in many different ways, but also how it is critical for all of those different elements and so in one sense we that definition of literacy I fully believe in that but if I were to really distill it down for me personally I see literacy as meaning making you know the ability to communicate and make and communicate meaning to people um and it can be through the traditional reading and writing sense but i think it can also be through new media like videos and um
2: images images and things like that exactly
0: mm-hmm.
2: i have to agree with aaron i think um yeah like if we were to sum it up in in a sentence for me literacy is a meaning making process and i use that when i talk to um Obviously, all my teachers, but especially my secondary teachers, who we often have conversations like, "Well, I'm not a reading teacher, (laughs) you know. I don't don't teach literacy. (laughs) I'm a science teacher." I said, "Yes, but if if you think of literacy as a meaning making process, who better than to help them make meaning of your content area than the content area specialists, right? So that's where we get disciplinary literacy. Um, But you know, in kind of Going off of what Erin was saying too, I think for me, uh, literacy needs, there's a function, right? Obviously of literacy. And it really, it, to be literate is to be able to advocate for oneself, right? For one's life. Um, and that's sort of the, the purpose of, of literacy,
3: I was going to say, I love that about the first episode of your podcast, where you talked about the power of literacy and advocacy, and I hadn't connected those things to defining literacy before, but after hearing it described that way, it's like a light bulb went off. And of course, that's the connection, and that absolutely makes sense. So I'm glad you brought that up today.
2: And it's really interesting, because when you do talk to people, um, especially um of a like older generation, you, you know, you ask them, what is literacy? And they'll say stuff like reading. I mean, people go to reading. And they also go to chapter books. It's like reading in chapter books (laughs) Mm -hmm. for some reason. Uh, It's very basic, right? So I love Erin's definition because she's really widening our lens of literacy so that if we can see it through a wider lens, especially if we help students to see it through a wider lens, then they'll see like, actually, I am a literate person, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I am, I am communicating meaning, but how can we do it in a way that we're communicating uh, making meaning or communicating in a way that our audience can receive it for example yeah. um, I don't know if that made sense but I mean in writing for example like knowing your purpose and your audience is really important yeah. right and how you you choose to communicate is really important
0: um, yeah. and I feel like Looking back on some of the most impactful learning experiences I've had, it's when my teacher was able to not just assign us chapters to read or not just having quizzes about like what we've read, but to actually be able to dissect that and say, okay, let's relate this back to what's going on in life now. Does this, um, does this reading relate to a, a relevant topic That's in the news right right now. Does this relate to something that's going on in our community, right? As we're speaking, like the ability to kind of connect the material back to real life and to be able to apply that, I think is a really powerful uh, way to learn. It's
2: actually a very powerful cognitive strategy, right? Because don't they say you can't learn anything new that you don't already know something about? Yeah. So, you know, helping students. Is that right? Is that the right? Well, I
1: think in in this, like you can be taught new, you can be taught new things, but when you have background knowledge about the topic, your ability to deepen and, and to uh, retain that material is stronger because you can make those associations with what you already know to the, co- the new content that you're learning. So it, it's not that yeah. it's not that we can't learn anything new,
2: but when Actually, we I have- I do think that's the quote. I do think that's the quote. You can't learn anything new that you don't know anything about already. We'll look it up. But anyways, but yes, (laughs) making the point where your teacher was trying to connect you, um, trying to connect the new learning to to past learning and also making it authentic, like giving some relevance, giving some purpose around it, because through the relevancy and the authenticity comes the motivation Mm -hmm. and engagement. And we always say without engagement, we have nothing.
1: There's that famous baseball study, right? With students who um, were reading a passage about baseball, and they were later assessed on um, on that comprehension. And students who didn't have any background on baseball and they were not as strong readers, they performed worse than the students that that were also not as strong readers, but they had better bat- baseball background knowledge. And so even though like that background knowledge actually kind of erased, not fully, but really kind of um, helped those struggling readers with comprehension because they could use that knowledge and answer, um, you know, those comprehension questions. And so, you know, just to underscore what Ez was saying that when we have the ability to connect to what we learn, what we already know to what we're learning uh, makes huge differences in the, the results or the outcomes, whether they
2: are academic outcomes or other, you know, general life outcomes too. I'm curious what your guys' definition of literacy is.
3: And I just steal the definition that Erin said, because as (laughs) she was talking now, I thought, well, that's why they, have such a wide definition of literacy is that if you don't know the words by sight, maybe you'll see an image in along with the text and now you're more literate than you would have been if there were no images there or if there's a video going along with text and you have these visuals, it helps you become more literate. And so I hate to just steal that, but I love it so much. And I really, that's it's not mine to thing own. What did you say? Aaron?
1: It's not mine. I don't own it. Okay. So if you're not perfect. stealing it.
3: Okay, perfect. So it's the associations and it's fine to take. But I, I think that's such an important aspect of the definition to not include it. I don't even want to say what my definition would have been before Aaron said it, because it would have been so narrow.
0: Totally. Yeah. And we have a lot of all of our work connects back to a curiosity element of that kind of feedback loop between teachers and their students of kind of like conversing and sharing each other's experiences as they learn new things. Um, so, yeah, I think that not only gives us a clear definition of literacy, but I think it also connects that component of um just getting that engagement and what what it looks like when the classroom is firing on all cylinders, right? Mm-hmm. Hey there, listeners, and thanks for tuning in. So that concludes the first half of our two-part conversation with Dr. Esmeralda Carini and Aaron D'Amelio. Be sure to tune in next week as we pick up where we last left off for part two of our discussion on defining and supporting literacy.